Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the BAMP Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lafferty. And before we get started, here is our contractually mandated intro music. And that lovely musical intro um, confirms to you, gentle viewer, that this is a high quality, um, ethically sourced, farm-to-table, geeky conversation for your podcast listening pleasure. And oh, hey, hey Dan hey. Dillon, how you doing? Hi. Sir? Uh, my camera is just not going to work. Looks like, uh, this thing is convinced that some other app is using it. I guarantee there are no other camera using apps open, but <laughs> what can you do? Hey, no worries. No worries. Um, if you can hear me, we, we'll make it work. We, we can hear you. Uh, we're live. So right. you're, yeah, live. you're the surprisingly spherical Dan Dillon. Tonight. Hello. Disembodied Dan Dillon. Hey, that's, <laughs> I, I like the alliteration on that. You can always um, put a picture up instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I like this picture myself, but um, yeah. hey, um, we have Aton Bernstein and Dan Dillon, both um, uh, Wizards of the Coast employees who are unfortunately caught up in uh, the recent unpleasantness. Um, and I'm going to pass the uh, host baton over here to uh, Owen Casey Stevens, as Owen's a little more familiar with the situation, and I will lurk in the background and uh, make wisecracks where appropriate. So, Owen. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so I'm Owen Casey Stevens. Uh, I am also a, a Wizards of the Coast alumnus, although I was laid off 22 years ago, um, which uh, is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to have, have Dan and, and Eitan on the show. Uh, we are all now Watsi alumni who got caught in a layoff, although theirs is much, much more recent. Um, and I think that there is uh, a, a tendency when when these things happen, which are clearly unfortunate and difficult in people's lives, uh, to sort of focus on on the negative. And I wanted to take a moment and instead talk to Dan and Aton about who they are, uh, what their positions were, how they got into gaming, and and sort of humanize this whole thing. I, I put a, a, a person's face on it so that people can say, hey, I saw Dan and, and Aton and that blowhardo, and I'll talk about this. Um, so if you all don't mind, uh, I thought I would start with... Uh, you two introducing yourself. Um, obviously, everyone can see Aton. Uh, Dan is currently a yes, big. I, white I have no face. I am. Uh, a, but I am a I, beige. I, beige. I have met both of these gentlemen at Gen Con. Uh, I've known Aton for more than twenty years. Uh, I've known Dan for you, what a decade. Yeah, tennis. Like yep. uh, who I've also met at Gen Con. I promise you, Dan does have a face. We just can't show you it right now. So, Dan, I've seen uh, it. <laughs> yeah, Aton will, will back me up on this. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, how you got into gaming and professional gaming, uh, and what your position was at Wizards of the Coast, and then we'll pass it over to Aton, and then we'll talk a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, I'm Dan Dillon. I'm a tabletop game designer, started out freelance, and then roughly five years ago was picked up by Wizards of the Coast until earlier this week. Uh, and corporate realities went ahead and did what it do. Um, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a long time various game player, uh, started with D and D when I was eight and just sort of went from there. Uh, and how did you get into professional game design? Cause you didn't leap straight uh, from being by, Wizards of the Coast. 
No, I did not. Uh, by accident, uh, around about 2013, I was uh, screwing around on a friend's Facebook post when he was putting together people to to work on a book for you, Owen. And uh, I, I kept not shutting up whenever he was talking <laughs> about things and making joke posts for things to add to the book. And he eventually said, all right, look, you need to come and write this stuff or understand that I'm going to steal it. So I, I did. And, and now now it's my job. And and so uh, I'm not going to claim folks write things for me and you'll end up at Wizards of the Coast and then laid off like the rest <laughs> of us. But uh, Dan is not the only person for whom that is their story. Indeed. Uh, Aton, what about you? Uh, tell us a little bit about what your position was, how you got into gaming, how you got into professional game design. Sure. So my position at Wizards was a uh, senior developmental editor, uh, which means that I am a lead editor or the lead editor on books that I've been assigned to. And then I also support uh, editorial tasks with other people's lead. So we had uh, three lead at, you know, three, actually we're all the same level. Um, Cause you know, it's not a big team. So we need everybody to be able to sort of switch between tasks um, plus uh, managing editor. And um, so mostly what we do it, oh, did <laughs> uh, is, um, review man you know manuscripts for a variety of different purposes from uh, fixing spelling and grammar to making sure that it corresponds with house style so that people's experiences are the same every time they use the product and in particular for me this happens to be sort of a specialty of mine which is inclusivity and sensitivity review so um i might have like we write a lot of guidelines and editorial for various things from style and that would that was something that i did a lot of work on was was writing um guidelines for how to be more inclusive in our products and how did you uh, get into gaming? Well, you mentioned 20 years plus, uh, Owen. Back in uh, back in about 2002, um, I had moved back from college to uh, do a grad program uh, near where my parents lived on Long Island and um, happened to just correspond. I don't remember where it was. It might have been America Online for all I know. <laughs> with um, a person who was doing editing for a free online magazine called Sylvan Publishing. Well, Sylvan Publishing was the company that owned it. It was called the Sylvan Trumpeter. Um, which at the time was the largest free magazine, which doesn't say a whole lot for RPGs. Um, and so they asked if I wanted to do like some news stories and things for their magazine. And I did stuff at Gen Con and interviewed Steve Kenson. That was actually my first assignment. <laughs> um, and um, then we did, I did some uh, PDFs for them and, you know, like, um, and edits on some of their products. And then after that, um, there was an opening as a developer at Wizards of the Coast, and I thought, mm, let's try it. They gave me a test. Um, I passed it. So then they flew me out to um, uh, to Seattle, first time there. And ironically, I was the sort of second choice after someone you might have heard called Mike Merles, um, <laughs> who um, actually just um, you know had a similar experience to Dan and I. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how we got here. Um, I, I started, well, just final, I started as a designer and uh, developer uh, for Wizards. And for the first half of my career doing that, that's primarily what I did. I think I worked on 15 books in various editions. But then the la latter half of my career, when I was a full-time editor outside of Wizards, then I transitioned toward doing editorial work. Yeah, and, and uh, Aton and I both worked on on books in the sort of, early OGL D20 mm -hmm. period, 3.0, 3.5. Yeah. Uh, I once heard 
uh, he and Ari Marmel and myself described as the three freelance horsemen of Wizards of the Coast. And there was <laughs> there was perhaps a time where, where that was the case. Um, Rob so, Schwab, too. <laughs> yeah, well, Schwab was definitely the fourth horseman. He came in, I think, a little after my my prime time. And of course, he he worked heavily on on uh, products. Everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Steve Kenson, who who you just mentioned you interviewed, uh, is a, a great designer, a great person, uh, currently works for Green Ronin, uh, well known for uh, Mutants and Masterminds uh, and icons. And, and Fantastic want, fiction, too. Yeah. Uh, if, if you want a superhero role-playing game, <laughs> okay, lots of other stuff. Uh, my daughter is very into a mutants and masterminds podcast or actual play right now. So she's been, she's been loving that. Well, not to, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, not to actually definitely to plug myself. Um, I wrote a novella for uh, mutants and masterminds uh, that is available through green Ronin. Um, and it's part of the anthology called earth prime. Uh, so, you know, FYI, you can go buy that. <laughs> Go go buy this product and and enjoy yeah. other things by uh, Aton and Dan. Uh, so one one of the reasons I wanted to have y'all on, uh, which in Dan's case is not working as well as hoped, was to put a face yeah. uh, to the the names. Um, so you know, I I know that that getting laid off is hard. We have all gone through that, and and it's it's not controversial to say that it is no fun to get laid off. Um, are you two both planning on staying in the industry if possible? I, I know that you have not had time to make full plans, but I also know that one of the things that happens sometimes is that there's a talent drain that the, the game industry overall uh, just tends not to be stable enough to keep people in it. So I'm curious if your current plans, such as they are, uh, are to look around in the industry first, or if you're thinking that you've had enough and you're going to go take up tulip raising in, in uh, the Netherlands. Dan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely want to stay in the industry. Um, the, the big question is going to be, will it support me and my two kids and, you know, my, my family that needs to eat? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the big question. Um, I have some prospects kicking, hopefully, so I'm very fortunate in that regard. We'll see. We'll see what shakes out. But uh, ideally, I would love to stay in the tabletop space. Um, video game is another potential, but I'm not a coder, so it would have to be on the writing, narrative design sort of side, uh, and that can be a tricky gig to get into. And I don't have the direct experience with that, so I'm a little tentative with that. But I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what's out there and see what I can make happen. And certainly there there have been people that have hopped from tabletop to the narrative end of video yeah. games. Um, and, and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, Bill Slavisek, who was uh, yeah. RPG R&D cool. at Wizards of the Coast for years and years and years and was my boss's boss when I was there, uh, hopped over to... Uh, what, running Bethesda right now, right? <laughs> well, no. But I mean, certainly the fact that he was a vice president... Uh, and and then I think a chief department head. I don't know what the, yeah. the title shuffled, um, but I, I think that experience certainly did him a lot of good. Uh, Ted yeah. Stark, uh, several other people have have done that work. Uh, Aton, what about you? Uh, so uh, similar to and I am interested in video games, but for now um, I'm <laughs> just reading through various messages and tips and leads that I've heard about and trying to catalog them to so I can remember. <laughs> remember who sent me what and whether or not I said anything back to them. Um, but I think freelance work is going to be a 
the main thing for me for a while while I take my time this time to uh, to look for work at Wizards, notwithstanding, because I would have taken that job anyway. But in the past, I felt like when I had other layoffs, I didn't take enough time to figure out what I wanted to do. And like, obviously, if you have financial deadlines that you just must meet or you've got kids to support, you know, you might not have that luxury. But right now I do. So I'm going to take more time to figure out what the next steps are for, for full time if there is a next step. Because, you know, there's a, a good amount of freelance work coming in. I'm planning a collaboration with um, with somebody on something interesting. Um, and by the way, if there's other collaborations that people are, are open to, anyone in this uh, chat right now, um, that's always an interesting idea because it's hard to create a game entirely by yourself. So, yeah, it, but It is super hard to, to create a game by yourself. Yeah. Um, I, the the only game I think I've created entirely by myself is is two pages of coin flip, right? Uh, everything else has been collaborations, working for companies, uh, right? And and even two pages of coin flipping, it it took me years to actually write that down in anything like a playable format. So yeah, that's uh, a cool one. <laughs> so uh, I've actually full time freelanced for most of my career. Um, I. I live in Oklahoma for most of my career. The only time I wasn't living in Oklahoma was when I, at least in theory, had a, a full-time job in the industry backing it up. Uh, I know you're both in the Seattle area now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I personally don't think I would try and make a run of full-time freelancing while living in Seattle. Does that seem nope. doable? Okay. <laughs> so Dan, Dan says no, and I'm sort of with Dan on that. Of course, Dan also has two kids. Aiden, you right, sound right. like you're you're gonna make a stab at it. I I am for the time being. Um, I happen to be. If anybody reading desperately needs assistance with house hunting, I happen to do some do a little bit of that. Usually not for charge, maybe for trading services. But uh, I have a knack for finding really good deals on on homes, usually rentals. So yeah, I have a really good deal on where I live right now, and it's a kind of weird place, but fun. Um, so I, I yeah. remember when you found it and you were posting pictures of it online, and I I would Didn't have gone real. The, I would have gone with the description quirky. Yes, yeah. quirky, <laughs> quirky. Um, so yeah, because I have a very good situation in terms of housing um that and because i'm not driving all the time i don't put that much wear and tear or gas um so because of that uh this is at least possible to consider for a little while and see how it goes um i i'm definitely open on linkedin and been updating it and and looking at my resume and maybe creating a new website because my old one is not great um but you know so i i think i'm in a this is not too bad. I mean, like I would have loved to stay at Wizards, but I'm seeing this as an opportunity because we tend when you're a full time employee at um, at a company, not Paizo for reasons um, that I've heard. But um, because anyway, um, but at Wizards, we tend to be very focused on what's happening internally. Um, and there are a lot of processes to get to get you know, permission and approval to be in public, you know, like um, events. So because of that, you don't, we don't do a lot of self-promotion um, and there's really good reasons for that. So that is not a criticism, but, um, but now, I mean, there's nothing stopping me from saying what I want to say or doing what I want to do as long as it's not hurting anyone. Correct. Uh, I want to jump in and note that uh, we, we have a comment that role for combats, Mark Seifter, uh, who I know and who's a great person, uh, put out an open call for anyone the Wizards of the Coast laid off to contact him for potential work. Uh, and I know that Rule for Combat does a lot of Pathfinder 2nd Edition stuff, for example, uh, which, you know, Mark helped create and, and is a game I'm very fond of. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I worked for Pi... I was 
I was a Paizo employee for a good deal longer than I was a Wizards of the Coast employee, and Paizo is very open about what they allow. Uh, when I was a Wizards of the Coast employee, um, you know, they I was on the Star Wars license at the time, which they don't currently have, but uh, it was pretty clear that I, I was not to go blabbing about my opinion, for example, of the Star Wars prequels without having had that opinion vetted. Uh, right. And, and that's the, what I said as a Watsi employee impacted not only how people viewed Watsi, but potentially how people viewed Star Wars and, and the Star Wars game overall. There are contractual yeah. obligations there. And uh, you you don't want to mess up contractual obligations with Lucasfilm at the time or no, Disney or now or right. Um, so there are absolutely good reasons to to want to have you know communications experts doing your communication and, and send yeah. a single message, etc. Uh, and different companies are different, right? Uh, I I worked for uh, Green Ronin part time for a long time, and if I was talking about something that wasn't Green Ronin related, they really didn't care. If I was talking about something Green Ronin related, mostly they just wanted a heads up. Uh, so different companies have different different expectations and different policies. Uh, so you, you mentioned, and that's exactly one of the reasons why I wanted to have both of you on the show, um, because it can be very difficult to promote yourself, uh, when you're full-time and that's not even a Watsi thing. When you are, when you're full-time in the game industry, wherever you are, you are very often heads down in a book, looking at the deadline and the deadline after that and the deadline after that. Uh, and you just may not have time, even if you have opportunity to promote yourself. So, since you are both currently looking for work, uh, first, let me say, if anyone wants to uh, contact Dan or Aiden and you can't find their contact info online, uh, you can always find me on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email me at owen.stevens at gmail.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. Uh, obviously, I know how to get a hold of these guys and I can forward anything along uh, if they have contact information they want to put up. Or you could contact me at my Patreon. Thanks, Mike. Um you could just look for me on Facebook. That's totally fine. Same thing as my name. There's no other Aton Bernsteins anywhere ever. So <laughs> um, I'm not so lucky with Dan Dillon's. You'll have to yeah, you'll have to find the right one. <laughs> I believe there's five or six in the world that I have found. Um, so um, so yeah, feel free. I approve most people unless I see something really scary in your profile. So you know. Yeah. I'm open to Conversely, that, uh, these days I keep my Facebook more to people that I actually know. Uh, so idea. that's not the best place to look for me, uh, which is which has been interesting because I didn't do that when I was freelancing. That was the only social media I had. So I've kind uh -huh. of backed off on Facebook. But you can find me on Twitter at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one, or you could email me at Dan Dylan one number one at gmail.com. Great. Uh, so if you all had your druthers, right? If if you got to describe the the perfect game industry job for yourself, uh, like you know, there is there is editing, there is developmental editing, which is so different from copy editing. Uh, there's <laughs> that's my specialty. <laughs> it's developmental right. editing. Yeah. Uh, there is uh, inclusivity. There's design. There's narrative design. There's moving to video games. What would be your number one choice to to have a full time position to pay the bills and and get you health insurance and make sure the mortgage is covered, Dan? 
Uh, for me, it would definitely be design and I, I like narrative and mechanical. Mechanical is definitely more my wheelhouse and my specialty. It's what I enjoy the most. It's what I'm best at. Um, I like doing adventure writing stuff, world building stuff. That's cool. But I love building monsters and, you know, player options and you know what, whatever bits for whatever game that fit that mold. Love mechanical design. Eitan? Uh, I'd like to be making games basically my own games uh it doesn't only have to be involving me but ones that either i've created or, co or collaboratively created um so there are i mean i need to do freelance work to pay bills um and uh, i'd also like to maybe on the side or even as part of a position do inclusivity work whether it's you know supporting as a consultant or um or reviewing manuscripts and and games and other products for um you know making sure that they are inclusive, which, but, um, but yeah, I think right now, um, either looking for unique opportunities to write something different, like possibly a, um, uh, text or, you know, interactive game, like more interactive novels or, or, um, potentially all sorts of other sort of unique and new opportunities for writing. But, you know, foremost in my mind, there's a couple of games that I want to create right now, or maybe three. Um, so that's, yeah, I haven't. It's been a long time since I've had like an opportunity to do that. Uh, when I was uh, last a a freelancer, really for a lot, you know, for most of my time, none of the social media existed. Like maybe Facebook was getting started. So like, it's not exactly I wouldn't say an advantage for uh, people who are newer or have joined this industry relatively recently. But I think you'll find if you search for some of us older timers. Um, we'll have a much smaller internet presence than even people in the last few years, just because all of the methods of promotion. Um, and so good on them. Cause that's, I'm much happier that people have an, I don't want to say easier, but at least more, more avenues for that. But um, this is all very new to me going, finding all the right places to look and, and figuring out what's the best platform for me. So, um, you know, I think that this is going to be a unique experience because there's just so much that wasn't the case when I last did this. Yeah, I mean, when I started freelancing in the 90s, uh, it was about writing for magazines, multiple right. paying RPG magazines, because you had mm -hmm. Dragon and Dungeon, uh, White Dwarf. Uh, I got an article in Troll, which only had two issues. Pyramid. Uh, Pyramid. <laughs> uh, Pyramid Online. Uh, so there was, and, and Pyramid still exists, to be clear. Yeah. Um, you guys actually might know. Does Dragon currently exist in any format? There was a digital Dragon for a while, but I I lost track. The best of my knowledge. Yeah, there is was there was Dragon Plus for a while. It wasn't the same thing as the Dragon Magazine. You know, you were thinking of and old right. timers know. Uh, I believe that has shuttered. Okay. I I could have sworn that I heard someone, and I'm not going to quote them because I don't want to put them on the spot. But I could have heard I uh, someone. Uh, at Wizards, I feel like they mentioned that it's been folded into something, okay. like something related to D&D Beyond or whatever, but I don't remember where or if that's active. But, um, like, we haven't, they haven't, we, they, they haven't, like, lost or gotten rid of those, those IPs, like. Dave Rosser yeah. says, it does not exist anymore. Yeah, well, my understanding <laughs> was Dragon Plus itself shut down. <laughs> See, mm. A question I'd love to know uh, from Sly Flourished, Lazy Dungeon Master. Having freelanced in the industry before being hired by Watsi, what surprised you when you started working there? That's a great question. From freelance to Watsi, what was the surprise that you feel comfortable talking about? 
Sure. And I don't know if it was specifically a surprise, but it was a pretty stark difference was actual process and procedure. Things like a template. <laughs> Whereas if you're freelancing, I, I don't think I was ever once given a style guide or template really. And it was just like, write however you write, whatever you write. And then our, you know, editors, developers, whoever will make it happen. Um, writing into a template with style guiding is, I like it a lot. It, it works for my process very well. So just having everything in that sort of standardized kind of format was, uh, that was quite a change going from figuring it out for myself and hoping the various publishers all like it to here's the thing, put it all into this. Hey, Todd? Uh, yeah, something I don't think a lot of people might realize is that most uh, RPG designers and editors get very little, if not no feedback for things that they write. In fact, I would say the vast majority of things I've written um, in the time I've been doing this, I've never heard from a single person because they don't either don't know that you're involved in it or they don't they don't know who is the person who's responsible for what in particular. Oh, there's Steve Kenson. Um, in particular, um, if you uh, were an editor on something or developer on something, people have no idea. I mean, I wrote I wrote two pages of Fandelver and Below this past year, and I think that I have a larger online presence with those two pages than the 11 books that I worked on when I was at Wizards. So um, it's, yeah, um, the thing that actually for me, so because of that, we are, when we're editing or often designers on products, we're the only person doing it. We, you know, most of the time we don't get feedback. Most of the time, either we're the most knowledgeable about what we're doing or especially with editing um, that, you know, nobody tells us if we did something wrong, there's not as much learning opportunity. So when I got to Wizards, and this was the first time that I had been on a staff of editors, um, and thank God for Judy, because Judy Bauer is amazing. Um, and she's a fantastic mentor, incredibly nice person. Like, I don't I don't have anything I could think of to it's like those food shows where they can't think of anything to say bad about your food. Um, so um, she was the first person in my career who actually said, like, hey, I think you might misunderstand that little random grammar thing or um, or like uh, try to remember this particular little thingy in our style guide or that's been deprecated or whatever. Like you don't really get that sort of thing doing it all freelance unless you're lucky. Like I had a couple of times when I was working on on freelance design where like Rob Haynes, is it Heinzo or Heinzo? I don't remember. I um, sorry. I said, I believe it's Heinzo. Heinzu, okay, um, and maybe I'm try, it doesn't matter exactly who who gave me actual feedback. Like we think you're really strong in this, and maybe could use some improvement in that. So like, but other than that, like that's the first time that happened, and that's the most different thing for me is 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 you know hearing about what you did and how you did it, and whether or not there's other things you could do. But also like doing it under such specific processes. I know Dan mentioned templates, but there's also the, you know, the whole, we have many steps and schedules and, and uh, many approvers, like just so folks don't think that things just randomly just get tossed out. Like there are a lot of people who have to look through everything. So it's very different from like a freelance situation where you do your work and then often you don't hear or see anything until you it fire gets into a void. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and the other yeah. thing is, as a freelancer, if it does change, you never know why. 
Yep. Right. It, it could be that uh, it was considered bad design. It could be that they ran out of room. It could be that uh, they they already had another freelancer write similar something similar that isn't going to get published till the next month. So yeah. you have no clue. Whereas, as Aton mentioned, uh, if you are on staff and a change is made, someone can come to you and say, hey, this is why that's happening. Take a look at this. Mm -hmm. I had something like that happen a while ago where I wrote a lot of stuff for a book and was like, was there something wrong with all of this? And then I later discovered that my material appeared in a different sort of similar book. And I didn't even know about it until randomly I was like flipping through books. and I was like, oh, I have a credit in this. So, you know, it, that happens. And it's often nothing to do with the quality of the work. It's often just we changed our minds about a particular direction we're going in, or we're worried that um, we're talking a lot about this particular NPC in this other product, and we don't want them to conflict with each other. There could be a thousand different reasons. So don't take it personally, because it probably isn't. <laughs> I mean, it could be as simple as page count, page yeah. layout, like some art needs to happen. And that means there's just not enough room for this many words. So something has to go. It's not, yeah, it's nothing about what you wrote. It's just the reality of building a book. And uh, that is a harsh, harsh mistress. <laughs> layout on these books is so hard and like mad props to, you know, people like uh, Tristan Falcone and um, Trish and Anne Bree. Um, you know, because this is such a challenge. So when, when they have to cut words because like it makes weird positioning for art, like it's much better to, to fix the art layout than it is to keep two sentences you didn't need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even on the art, uh, one of the things I discovered uh, when actually working at Paizo and part of my job was to copy fit things to, to say, Hey, here's, here's the layout, make sure the words end at the end of the page. Uh, I learned that I was much better off ordering a picture of an owl bear, which is pretty close to compact, than ordering a picture of an angel with a lance, which was going to have wings sticking out this way and a lance yep. going that way. And those things break up sentences. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. It can look really cool, but if it has to splash across the whole page, you can't have the word V and then a wingtip and then angel and then a lance goes it, it just won't work I, it's I didn't funny looking at some older books where the text really does wrap around and yeah he's sort of in the middle of it and i'm looking at it now and i'm like how how, how did we do this <laughs> how did we read these <laughs> yep I, I did want to take just a minute uh adon mentioned uh judy bauer uh judy was at wizards of the coast on the editing staff uh for most of the time I worked there for several years uh, and about feedback. She was the first person uh, that was ever at wizards or at Paizo at Paizo. Yes. Sorry. Oh, when okay. I was at Paizo, she was there. My apologies. I, it all gets jumbled. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm old. Uh, she was the first person who was both in a position uh, and uh, had the, the drive to come to me and say, Hey, this thing and this adventure that you've approved as a thing that the player should do is the best solution is creepy as hell and i was like what do, what do you mean by creepy and she's like well you're you, this, you know, and i don't want to i don't want to call out any author so i'm not going to tell about what adventure it is but there was a moment in an adventure that as seen from an inclusivity point of view was very much driven by uh the the patriarchal narrative of treating women potentially as prizes rather than as people um yep. and you know i i grew up on a lot of Pulp Fiction and and a lot of uh, Snow White stuff. Um, so I just hadn't even noticed. And when it went to editing, Judy came over and said, you know, this 
this can be seen this way. And as soon as she put it out, I was like, oh, that's gross. I'm really sorry. Uh, and she didn't want me to be sorry. She wanted me to be aware. And we discussed a solution. And we came up with several that were great. Um, but that, as a freelancer, if I turned that in, some other developer and editor, right, maybe the same editor, maybe it would be Judy, would have fixed it. And I would never have known Right. what the issue was and why it was fixed. So that learning opportunity can be really important. Yeah. There that's are exactly that's exactly the thing is the ability to learn from those things which is not present in so much of freelance work. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the like I was at Peterson for a year as a full-time uh, editor uh and mostly did all the editing. Um and uh, I was the annoying editor that for, for most of these people who like got back to them and say like, hey, this is this problem. Do you want to revise it this way? Because otherwise I can just change everything. But um, and people were shocked. Like nobody's ever asked me to do that before. And I was like, well, I would like people to have asked me to do it. So now I'm going to let you. Uh, so we've got a question, which I'm going to put to you guys uh, and feel free to not answer it if you're not comfortable. Uh, and it, it actually mentions that. And then I'll, I'll give my take such as it is. Uh, the question is, having been closer than most of us, how optimistic are you about the 2024 core books and how the process has been to develop them? Do either uh, of you feel like speaking to that at all? Because I can no, think of that. I mean, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little we can't bit. Talk about the specifics in of any way, not. shape or form. Right. Um, I can say that I'm very, very optimistic about them and I can't wait to see them. Uh, I mean, y'all yeah. have seen a bunch of the stuff that's gone out and iterated publicly. There is so much in there that I am thrilled that we're going to get to actually get our hands on and play with. Um, like I got to, I got to play test the latest play test version of the monk and I was so happy. <laughs> yeah. I love the sorcerer. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think it, it would, it's an opportunity. Um, and by the way, massive kudos to jeremy crawford because a lot of the innovation and changing and thinking of how we um engage with the community like that's a lot of a lot of you know credit goes to him for that because um it's like a vision for how how to do this and um i think trickling down from that was this notion of this is an opportunity to fix things that we can fix um and or make them clearer um i think the content is fantastic the art's amazing um you know i did a little work on this before i, I left um i won't say on what or how um although i will say that i did a, a lot of work drafting content standards for just guidelines for how we're portraying things i have no idea where those will go but I'm, i mean that's not and and you know what they may not they may not use that at all now that i'm not there but that was just um something that all companies have to do for new products so sure um you know, uh, so that was exciting. And I think that that's just one tiny little aspect of the move toward trying to be very thoughtful about how to be inclusive. Uh, and I think that that's going to be a lot in this product. Um, so yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that this is an awesome, awesome set of products and, you know, and that'll lead into the next topic here in a sec. Uh, I want to read this comment we got from Dave Rosser. Uh, I've got two playtest monks in my Planescape game. The players are very happy, a little worried of it being overpowered, but part of that maybe they were used to the old monk. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah, it change any change can can make you wonder about balance, especially when it's a question of uh, a new way of doing things versus how things were. Right. Yeah. Um, so we were just. We were, we were just singing the praises of the books, uh, which I I have not been as close to the process as you do, but I also expect them to be 
uh, tremendous based on who I know uh, who's working on them, right? I mean, I, I know th there are a lot of ex-Paizo people uh, over there, and I know some of the non-ex-Paizo people who, who work on the game, uh, Chris Perkins, for example, uh, who's a tremendous designer. Um, but we... Uh, it may surprise some people to to hear the three of us who are all ex watsi singing the praises of a Watsi book and Watsi people, but surviving a layoff isn't any fun either, right? Uh, the layoff that got me in 2001 was not the first layoff they had since I was hired. Survivor guilt is a real thing. Uh, the workload tends to not be reduced just because people are gone. Um, Goes the other way, of, in fact. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh the uh, the 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 total workload is the chain, same or goes higher. The number of people to tackle it is now lower. Um, generally speaking, you still have friends there, uh, people you know and like, um, and there's a lot of fan anger. And I'm not going to tell anyone that they that that I will dictate how they should spend their money in gaming. Right, whatever people want to do, that's that's their call. Um, but certainly, I did not wish Watsi ill after I left. Uh, I especially yeah. did not want anyone to be directing venom or unpleasantness at the people there who were tremendous people and and the vast majority of them had nothing to do with my layoff right they didn't make that call it wasn't their decision there hadn't been a secret whisper campaign to get rid of me or anything it's just when people have to go regardless of the reason someone's gonna go so i wanted to you had both expressed to me wanting to talk a little bit uh about what you hope for the people still at watsi and and how you hope people would would treat them uh and what what the conversation publicly will be going forward i don't think vast negativity does anyone any good uh dan do you want to speak to that really briefly sure um i mean this is something i've said publicly i uh have absolutely nothing but admiration and love for my my former team my 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 colleagues at wizards and these are people who are fans first and they're there because they love D&D and they want to make it the best that they can. Um, I do not begrudge anyone voting with their dollars, of course. But he here's the thing. I'm not stopping playing D&D. Like, I'm, you know, crushed about not working there anymore. But it's not going to put me off of D&D. It's not going to stop me from supporting my, my former teammates who are still there, still putting in the work and putting in even more work now. Uh, I want them to be successful. I want D&D &D to thrive and continue to grow and for you know my kids to have the love of it through their life that they had if they find that with it. Uh, I want uh, our, our former colleagues to be secure in their jobs as possible. Uh, and that means I if people are into it, please keep buying and supporting D&D. Um, the sad fact is the people who make these decisions will almost never see your outrage. So perhaps what you're saying is don't don't boycott them on your behalf. Absolutely not. Please don't. Like if you need to for whatever your peace of mind is, fine. Absolutely follow your your Constance. star on that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Todd. I, I loved uh I mean everything that Dan said, in particular the part about the the negative as opposed to the positive reactions to this sort of thing. Like the the work that the people in the creative teams and in product management and all of those you know, teams that are involved in making a D&D book or a magic set, um, those people are awesome. I mean, they earned their place at Wizards of the Coast by being some of the best people in their field. Um, and the products that they're making, I mean, 
folks can say whatever they want to, but this is some of the highest quality stuff that's being produced. So, um, you know, they are not responsible for any strange, you know, uh, anything uh, that that Wizards, you know, Wizards corporate or Hasbro. And that that's not a criticism of Wizards or Hasbro so much as just that is not a process that they're involved in. Right. So if it's manufacturing or if it's PR or or marketing, unless you're on the marketing team um, or a lot of these areas, um, we, we just don't or didn't um, have any impact on those things. So if you're if you're wondering what happened here or how did this happen or this seems like a coincidence, please just know that it is very unlikely that the people directly working on these products had any impact or any knowledge of it. We you know there's a reason why these things are, are kept quiet until they're ready to talk about them. So like, you know, don't blame the people working on the game for this. And if you, if people are upset about say people being laid off rather than just going and, you know, switching all of your support to wizards, sorry, from wizards to some other place, um, support the, the people who were laid off positively, you know, yeah. go to their, their Patreon or, or, um, trying to remember the names of the other ones that you mentioned owen but there's, there's patreon can... there's coffee uh there's yeah. there's all sorts of and, and for that matter and let me leap in here uh because i already have um support doesn't have to mean money right no if you yeah. see any of us saying hey here's a new project i'm working on here's a new kickstarter whatever uh just sharing and commenting just those like and share media, the post yeah, means like so much. and share is such a huge help and, uh, and you know, write us an email. I mean, you can go onto my website and use the contact form. It is not all that common for for those of us who aren't, you know, Rob Schwalb. I mean, honestly, he may not get it either, so I don't want to speak for him. Um, to receive emails like, "I really loved what you did with this," or "I was so amazed at how how like seamless that book was. It was so easy to use," um, or or whatever you want to tell them. Like, you like a particular uh, designer or whoever just email them or, or send them a message on, on if you're connected to them on Facebook and Lord knows I I'm connected to uh, too many people. I, I took a point from you, Dan, um, but uh, support them. And it doesn't have to be money. It could just be some nice words. Cause I got to tell you when that happens, it makes my day. It might even make my week. I mean, that can cookies. keep us going. It uh, does. All conventions, lots of ways to show your appreciation. Uh, um, so, I've got a, I've got a few questions yeah. from the. Uh, can I share some? Okay. Um, yeah, let's let's go through those. Had this from slide first. I don't I don't know if we can answer this one actually. Asking if they're going to fit all the material in the new three core books, larger fonts, more content, more art. What's going to give? That seems like a lot of speculation. I don't know yeah, I mean, yeah. I, okay. Even if I knew, I couldn't say. Um, there's some things that have been publicly talked about that I can point mm -hmm. to. For one thing the reorganization of things like which subclasses are going to be presented in the player's handbook. Jeremy has publicly said many times that there's going to be 48 subclasses, meaning four subclasses per class. Some, looking at you, cleric and wizard, that means that they're getting pared down to a reasonable number instead of the eight and, you know, nine or 17, whatever the hell they had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was, was going to say, go, go ahead. ahead. No, eight and you go. Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to add, and this is not in any way specific to this title, but just that part of the expertise of editors and designers and, and art folks is just having tricks up your sleeve for how to save space. 
So yeah. it's knowing what kinds of content aren't that crucial that you could cut, knowing how to move art around or or even get rid of a section that's redundant. So like there are a lot of different ways that they could do this. Some of it could be organizational. They could say, well, it makes more sense to present it in this order and it's also save space. So like there are a lot of tools for how to do that that don't have really all that much to do with content. Yeah, a lot of a lot of ways to present information in a better, concise, more digestible manner, and they're doing a, a hell of a lot of work on that. And I can't wait to see what it ends up looking like. When I was at Paizo and we were working on Starfinder, one of the advantages we had is that while Starfinder is not the same as Pathfinder First Edition, uh, it was built off that, which yeah. meant that there were a lot of things like stat blocks that we knew going in. Okay, a stat block takes up this much room. Yep, and it actually takes up that much room plus two if we give them uh, complicated long abilities. So if we're going to do that, we can in advance make the decision to only give them one of those rather than say have a dragon have five of them. So right. that experience, I, I, with with no knowledge of what's going on internally at Wizards of the Coast, uh, I know that since they had this is going to be very similar to to the rules and sets they've already done, there is internal experience about what takes up how much room, how you write it, uh, what what phrases or formats in layout took up more room than you thought, and once it was in layout, you did not have time to go back and rewrite your formatting. So there are absolutely options. Oh, yeah. uh, you can have, you can retemplate things. I mean, like let's say you think that the feeps take up too much room, or let's say you think that um, a stat block has stuff in it that maybe people don't use that much or isn't really important for an encounter. You can just decide we're not including that particular thing anymore, whatever it is. And you right. know, maybe people liked that thing, but you know, if it's making a DM's hard, life harder when they're trying to understand what they're reading and pick a few things to do during the battle, then it not only might save space, but it just might improve the ease of use of the game. So. I think that they're 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 in good we're in good hands with that. <laughs> yeah. An example of the kind of thing and I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen in the 2024 rules revision, but an example of it in say if you look at recent dragon designs from uh Fisben's Treasury of Dragons, you'll notice that say the gem dragons don't have the old claw claw bite routine, right? So they don't have a claw, they don't have a bite, they don't have a tail. They'll have a more concise attack that maybe they can use multiple times. So it cuts down redundancy on okay, well, this is a big attack that does slashing damage this is another attack and the only <laughs> real difference is it does piercing damage and then they've got this other thing that because it's a tail it does bludgeoning damage but they're all just physical damage attacks and that's taking up three actions worth right. of space in the stat block did we really need that or can it be condensed into a thing called rend and then the dm can describe how the dragon is rending things are they using their claws are they are they using their teeth are they using the spines on their joints or whatever you know that sort of thing uh, a question I, from dave ross i'm sorry go ahead no one i was gonna say we got a question from dave ross here which i almost certainly suspect the answer is we can't really talk about it uh, unless there's public info that you want to bring up and if there is public info throw it out there because not everyone sees everything. The question mm -hmm. was, can you talk to about how much the play test has changed things internally? I, I think that we can say something about that. I can't okay. specifically give you like a how much, but Jeremy Crawford has been very open yep. about the fact that we absolutely do read through all of the feedback and we do, and then somebody will categorize it and look for patterns of what people are really interested in, you know, and then try to figure out like, how successful that particular thing they released was. And then, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, doing well, but we want it to do better then we can revise it. And like, there is a process for this. So I, the answer is, I don't know precisely how much, um, 
you know, Dan might know more than I am, but probably wouldn't say anyway. <laughs> but, um, but I can say that people are absolutely listening to your feedback and it's almost, almost always the, the biggest driver that helps to determine what bigger directional changes might be. Yeah. Um, it, it's difficult to, to answer that question in like a, a, a solidly quantifiable way. The easiest way for me to, to talk about it is, you know, Jeremy's been on videos talking about, Hey, sadly, this thing we tested is going to be leaving us. It didn't make the cut or whatever. So I will say that your feedback absolutely shapes the directions these things take. Um, uh, certainly early on, we were experimenting with a lot of kind of off the wall stuff, trying to like vastly change how some things work to see, you know, and, and if the, the support feedback wise wasn't there for it, then it doesn't make sense to try and continue this weird thing just to be different, right? It's got to be making a, a sincere qualitative difference in the experience of playing the game. And then all the other factors that go into it too. Right. Um, but uh, on on the point that you made, Aton, of your feedback being heard, I, I cannot stress enough again that all of your comments are read, every single one of them. Uh, and for the most part, y'all are lovely. Even when you don't like something and you hate it and you're angry about it, you are they want to know and constructive about it, which is great because that is awesome feedback. Even if you're angry, we get it right. Just don't, you know, call people names and threaten violence and ask for people to lose their jobs. That sucks. Do better. Um, <laughs> but my, my main, <clears throat> one of my last main tasks was parsing UA survey feedback. So I just want to send a huge shout out to Ron Lundin and Patrick Rennie, whose job along with me, it was to read every single comment thousands of them every survey y'all so whoever is talking about oh they don't read it please understand that that's garbage that we they read everything everything yeah. is read everything is considered yeah yes i wanted to add one thing like there are a lot of things that people um like like this one that they people think that we don't you know we don't hear them or that you know the current team doesn't but Another thing that they're, they're just things that people don't seem to think are true. One thing when when PR folks and marketing folks and Jeremy Crawford says that this is backwards compatible, it really is backwards compatible. Like they're being really careful about making sure that um, the changes they make do the least potential, you know, backwards problems. Like the idea being, you know, assuming we did our, you know, everything right, which I think we will. Um, that you can play these old modules that, you know, that we previously published, you can use most of what you've got. So just something I wanted to just mention, cause I'm not there anymore. So I don't have to say anything about this, but it really is true. Like they really are trying to make it so that this is a clarification. It's an opportunity to make things easier and better and some innovation, but it isn't meant to mean that your previous books and other things are, are, are not useful. Like they really right. are. So and, and as Dan was mentioning, uh, well, it, compatible does not mean identical, right? No, so Dan right. was talking about changing how the attacks of a dragon work. Uh, even if a red dragon stat block was different, as long as I can both uh, take a character from the 5e player's handbook and put it up against the new dragon, or take one of the old dragons and put it up against a character from the new player's handbook core rulebook, that's compatible, even if those fights don't run identically, even right. if the dragon's attack pattern is different. Um, let's, let's not ask them, uh, to 
to talk about their severance and stuff. That's a, a in fact we can't. Yeah, we okay. can't. Other than to say, they are. We are receiving something. I can't just yep. can't specify what it is. Well, the second part of the question, he's asking if there's any links to Patreon, right? Yeah. We can put in the show notes uh, to help support you. I don't have any such thing, but thank you, Dave. I really appreciate yeah. you, uh, you checking. I don't have one right now, but um, I may in the future. So yeah. um, I will let folks know. And Owen, too. <laughs> so, um, quick uh, question. Um, We've got a few questions in the comments. I know with the severance, there's some things we don't want to talk about. Some people were asking how you feel about how this affects the health of the brand. I'm guessing those are questions we want to steer away from at this point. Um, you know what? I, honestly, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how it affects yeah, the health of the brand. Um, yeah. That's not my specialty. I mean, like, I, I think it's always good to go back to the general principle about what 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 all of these things might be like at any company and whether good or bad or otherwise like um i don't know that that this is any different from from any layoff so you know and and i'm not speaking to what that means just you know i don't think there's anything particularly unique here about about this particular situation i do have an interesting historical question from dave roster he's asking if anyone's read ben riggs account of the 1997 tsr layoffs and if this was similar to that uh, uh I, I i believe at one point i did i i certainly have uh, and i've also spoken to ben riggs um and uh i would say that the 1997 tsr layoffs were handled about the worst way they possibly could have been just about some of that is a technology issue, right? There are options now that just did not exist then. Um, and as seen from the outside, this does not look similar to me. I won't ask Dan and, and Aton to, because what are they going to say, right? If if they say, yeah, it was, it was the same, people are going to read too much into that. Uh, yep. And they're not going to write their stories about it. And they say it's different. People will read too much into that. So yep. I understand that people really want, uh, the nitty gritty details of some of these things. Uh, but it's worth noting that uh, Ben Riggs account of the 1997 TSR layoffs was written 25 years later. So mm -hmm. some, and TSR as a company doesn't exist anymore and everyone involved has moved on. So yeah. uh, I think, I think too soon. I think really so, the, the classic too soon is the answer to some of those things. There is uh, and one I thing personally I haven't, I haven't read his account, so I wouldn't be able to, mm -hmm draw yeah. any sort of comparison um, anyway <laughs> there's one thing i feel confident saying which is just that like i mean i've been through other layoffs at other companies and uh, obviously we're shocked and grieved and whatever because we lost our jobs and we loved doing this but like from a from a perspective of how these things tend to go wizards of the coast and hasbro they didn't do anything as far as i can see that was you know egregious or or like really or cruel or malicious or anything it, it's what a layoff is. And so regardless of how people feel about that, I don't think that there was anything unusual. People were nice, you know, um, were helpful. They're offering, you know, to give ref references. Like, I, I think, you know, as, as these things go, there's, n there's nothing unusual. So, and, yeah. And I know that some people, this is just a re corporate reality. I yep. know a lot of people talk about how cruel it is for, for the layoffs to occur just before, uh, Christmas. Um, Hasbro, their financial year runs January 1st to December 31st. So yep. things like this, and, and Wizards of the Coast does too. Things like this tend to happen because you want to get it all done at the end of the year before the next financial year starts. 
Does that as a reality kind of suck? Yes, it does. Is it especially cruel? No. No. And, and I was talking to someone about this and they were saying that, oh yeah, I was thinking about it, but then some friends of mine got laid off in August and I was thinking, oh, how are they going to pay for the entire upcoming holiday season? And then some friends of mine got laid off in in June. I was like, oh, how are they going to pay for school? There's no good time. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no good time there's to no, lose your no job. Good time. <laughs> and, and so that's that's just, at least this way, you know what it's likely to happen. That's, yeah, that's I, I actually say about it. I have a positive thing. I mean, positive in, in relatively to say about about this, which is that a lot of things change as of January first. Like you know, there's tax things that change in January. There's uh, healthcare things that are yeah. that change, and so from a from in some ways, you know, I, I, of course the holidays are tricky, and of course you know we don't want to be laid off at all. But like, there are some some good aspects to that in terms of just dealing with life stuff like if if so much of this happened you know next year then it would have been taxes next year and it would have been right. a lot of other things so like that's not a, a saying that i love this or anything just saying it's not honestly i don't think it's tremendously worse than any other time uh lou anders asked you may not be able to say or even know but will the the 2014 uh, D and D rules be available as legacy content on D and D Beyond. Uh, I will Absolutely say now that absolutely no idea, right, <laughs> no I, idea. I will say now, no one knows because even if that decision's been made, that decision could easily change. Yeah, you know the three o three five rules weren't originally available, and then the decision was made to to put them up as PDFs. Same with first and second, and so you'll just have to wait. Even if that decision had gotten made, it it would not be something that couldn't be reconsidered. And also, that's not the kind of decision that we, that people on the creative yeah. team would 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 really know about. That's much more of like a sales, marketing, PR, all of those things. And and we often don't hear about those things until you know everyone else that's does. Nice. So, <laughs> I, I I often learn about these things by reading my friends' social media. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of times where we learn these things are happening when we see the posts and people reacting to it. Uh, and that's it's going to be the same answer to Sly Flourish. Have you seen changes in how Watsy Hasbro is treating D&D digital versus print products? Is there a bigger push to support smaller D&D beyond products? Um, that You know, that's not these guys' department. I mean, literally, I mean, there's a department. Yeah, if you got something you want to say, jump uh, in. Really something small, which is obviously, I mean, if anybody's been paying attention to D&D beyond, there is more digital content. I mean, like, that's not a secret. There's definitely, I mean whether it's a push or not, there's definitely interest in doing more. And that's just the sign of the times. So like, um, I can't say that that has anything to do with whether or not, you know, any effect on print products. I mean, a lot of that is, is less about what Wizards and Hasbro wants than just where the market starts going. So um, I don't have any inside knowledge about that, but yes. So we got more questions, Mike. Okay. Uh, Dave Ross here. All in all, it seems you are both happy for having worked there. That's impressive. Is this sense of mine correct? Can you talk to that? Maybe a bit about why? So, uh, you guys happy to have had your Wizards of Coast job? God, yes. It was <laughs> literally the dream job that I didn't know existed for most of my life. Um, it, yeah, uh, thrilled to have worked there. And I was just talking to uh, to someone about this the other day. And there was a, hey, you know, making this decision four years ago where ironically the possibility of this holiday layoff thing was one of the main concerns that I was weighing before taking the job because in my freelance circles, it was such a horror story. 
because of the there was a, a section of years where it was a yearly thing, right? Yep. It was the old Watsy Christmas layoffs. Uh, and so I had to very seriously consider that to you know consider uprooting and trucking my family halfway across the country to do this. And and you know, I, I did it and, and here we are. So haha, I made it made it about five years. Um, but yeah, I'd do it again, right? I, I don't regret it. Not for a second. The the people I work with are amazing and they're I learned so much from them and I got to give back to this game that I love. Uh yeah, I, I can't say anything bad about that experience. Hey Todd? Uh same. I mean, I loved working on this. Uh, and I still love working on it if when doing freelance and and I mean, and I don't think you'll find a single person uh who uh works worked with us or who is a alumni who has previously worked there. None of them hated doing their jobs. They all loved their jobs. There are things they didn't like about their jobs, but that's true of all jobs. jobs so like jobs. jobs are jobs. And this is one of the best ones you can have. If you like role-playing games, I will say uh, in particular for me, uh, that was the seventh time I had applied for a job at Wizards of the Coast starting as early as 2004. So, and in fact, that's how I got into the industry was that they gave me freelance work after I didn't quite get the job. So, um, you know, I think that says clearly I wanted to be there and it was a lifelong dream to be there. And I wish I could have continued to learn stuff, but I don't regret a second of having been there. I, 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 I worked at Wizards of the Coast 2000, 2001. Uh, I helped launch uh, 3.0. I helped launch the, the D&D, D20, although I did my <laughs> most Star Wars work on Saga freelance after I was gone. But... Mm. Um, if someone asked me, are you glad I worked there? Uh, I learned how to do a pagination at Wizards of the Coast. I learned how to do uh, back cover text at Wizards of the Coast. I learned what a header is in a role-playing game uh, format at Wizards of the Coast. I knew what a header was, but no one had ever sat down and said, this is how you organize the information in headers, and this visually is what you are telling the reader by how your headers are styled. Um, and written. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Uh, that is that is all stuff I learned from Wizards of the Coast. So, and and I in particular learned a lot of it uh, from Steve Miller, who worked at Wizards of the Coast and and got laid off. Um, so when I was hired at Wizards of the Coast, uh, I was a really rough freelancer who had written for magazines. Right. That's that's almost literally it. When I left Wizards of the Coast, uh, I was a still wet behind the ears, but trained. RPG writer, developer, designer, um, and and the difference in the freelance work I was able to get and the quality that I turned out before and after. Uh, and I realized almost no one has any of that work anymore, so you, you can't really necessarily make the comparison, but it's night and day. Um, so I, I was very glad to have had that job. That job prepared me for the next 22 years of my career. Yeah. Now, the same is true of my time at Paizo, where I was there for five years. I learned so much. Um, but not to mention people like yeah. friends and coworkers and connections, you yeah. know, like these are great people to know for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, uh, I, I met Chris Premis and Nicole Lindris when I worked at Wizards of the Coast and I have worked for them. I, I met Stan, who's a business partner and a great friend of mine. Uh, I, I only know these guys because of, of, of connections that, that came out of that. So, Yeah. So we're nearing, we're just creeping across the hour mark. I've got, before I continue, Dan, did you have a chance to respond to that last question? Uh, I don't know. Which one was it? I don't remember. 
um uh, if you was uh, it the was it the happy oh yeah no i i think i i started that one okay yep. yeah can we work in uh two more comment questions before we wrap things up you guys That's got time I, I I don't have any place I have to be. <laughs> okay. um, I don't think you can answer this one, but we'll go ahead and ask um, from Al in the comments. Questions about digital D&D content. Do you feel D&D B will replace DMS, DMs Guild as a digital marketplace? It either means less full-time employee designers and more freelance pulled from things like adept programs. I suspect you can't answer that. But no, I, no I can't. can't I, I don't know. Yeah. You know. I haven't heard anything about that, but... Um, you know, uh, they, you know, I wouldn't know any sooner than you would if anything like that ever did happen. But not as far as I'm aware. But that doesn't mean anything. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, that's so far out of our wheelhouse. <laughs> okay. Um, question from Sly Flourish. I can't say this word tonight. Sly Flourish. Eesh. Question: What game design knowledge stands out to you that you learned from working specifically at Wansi? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I will throw one in there while you two think, because uh, I worked at Watsi and I learned a lot of specific things. And here's one I learned. And I learned this from Andy Collins, who worked there at the time. Things should be the same or different. They should not be almost the same with little teeny tiny hard to notice differences, because that both leads to confusion, because if you think they're the same and they're not. And it also, especially if they appear in different books, makes people wonder if you're correcting the first thing. Oh, is everything like this supposed to work this way or just that thing? We so, deal with that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it, I, I had never thought about that. Um, and I learned it because we were working on the Star Wars game. And that was yet another case where, where as much as possible, if we were using the same term as we did in D&D, we wanted it to work the same way. If we were yeah. going to do something different, we wanted a different term. Which, by the way, is why I am a stickler for calling opportunity attacks in 5e opportunity attacks and not attacks of opportunity because they work very differently. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of folks who came from Paizo, so, um, you know, uh, which is awesome because that's, you know, why we know everybody is because we, you know, <laughs> we like doing this work. Um, but so, you know, Paizo and Wizards don't have the same style. You know, they just write things differently, and that's good. Um, but it also means just looking out for things, whether it's Paizo or some other game, that just creep in, like, you know, uh, electricity damage or, or uh, you know, at versus on. <laughs> you know, those sorts of little things. But um, for me, I would say the, the thing that comes to mind the most would be um, something that the spectacularly amazing Chris Perkins, in particular on this area, which is... Um, finding the simplest easiest solution to a problem um and my mind will go to like well we can add these three characters and then we could you know cut this one piece and he's like let's change that one line he's like is that good enough and i was like yeah so you know practice at figuring out simpler less invasive solutions to problems that don't require changes in art don't require moving sections around you know cutting whole characters like that's a massively powerful skill to have if you're going to do this because you know it's expensive to do all of those things and time consuming and exhausting so fix the things because they have to be fixed but do it you know do no harm <laughs> as simply as possible man uh there's so many little things um just pick one one yeah uh one of the biggest things that i learned while working there was really about sort of player mentality in psychology 
and it's about um, <clears throat> how badly players want to break their own games without realizing <laughs> it. And and like I, I say this with all of the love in the world, I do the same thing, right? <laughs> like I think of this cool thing and I want it to be that way. And you really need to stop and think through the implications and get good at looking at how that will create ripples. And then that also feeds into playtesting, using things, seeing what happens. Um, because there are so many suggestions that are things that people want to do that will just destroy the game. Like it will, it will just fall apart. And getting good at seeing where those things are coming and avoiding them is really important. Yeah, maybe more for 5e than most D&D editions because 5e is like an ecosystem. Everything is like done in relation to everything else. So if you add too many overpowered animals, at least as current rules, your druid's going to just be totally broken. So like this this edition is much it was has been more maybe tightly um managed in some ways to make sure that both from a quality perspective, but just from a things not getting off the rails, because one ripple tends to make more ripples. Because if you didn't catch that ripple, then you've changed things in multiple places that are now rippling and causing problems elsewhere. So, you know, I think, you know, this game more than most is, is a learning opportunity in design and editing for how to um, avoid the sort of thing that Dan mentioned. I've got, I said that there are going to be two, can I squeak in one last question? Then we're going to call sure. it. Sorry. Sure. Um, coming in from Dave Rosser. Question What are your personal thoughts on the OGL changes that have happened? Not necessarily the controversy, but where we are now with the SRD and the CC. Bye. That's fantastic. I love it. I love the SRD being Creative Commons. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. More DD. Yay. Yeah, I love it too. In fact, I also um, love that other, other groups and companies and people are getting together to make other um, open. Uh, licenses and things because that just gives opportunities to people whether they're big or small to start to, you know to be able to do work without necessarily having to come up with something brand new which is hard <laughs> so it's a lot easier if you have an open license that you don't really have to worry about that much about about what you can and can't use relatively um to just make something there you go more games um, well hey um We've been talking for a little over an hour now. Um, any closing thoughts, uh, Eitan? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is sort of more just repeating, but um, please show your support and your reactions positively. So even if that means going and buying a product that you think is awesome at another publisher, that's great. If it means, you know, uh, supporting a Patreon, also awesome. It means, you know, sending a note to somebody telling them that you support them and you think they're awesome and you love this particular work of theirs. Um, but you know, that is more, more beneficial and, you know, than posting 75 posts on Reddit, telling everybody how much you hate everything and coming up with conspiracy theories. There are lots. Um, and most of them are wrong by the way. Um, so, um, do it positively help rather than just complaining about things, not because you don't have the right to, because it just won't accomplish anything. And, I guess plus one to all of that. And just to add on when you be careful, when you vent your frustration and anger, because there's almost no way to throw rage at Watsi or wizards without also catching the people on the D and D team in that splash. Like it, as someone who got to see an awful lot of it, 
there were so many people saying things that were so hurtful and I'm sure they didn't mean them to be, but it's just like, look, when you, when you let fly with a shotgun, you're going to, you're going to cause some collateral damage. So just, just be mindful about that. When you, when you have that frustration and anger justified, though it may well be. And, and please no death threats, especially oh because this happens way too often. Please don't say violent things to Jeremy Crawford. He's an amazing human being who's Anyone, doing yeah. Spends, but I don't know when he sleeps, but I do know that like no one I've ever met besides, you know, other, you know, more than Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford are so devoted to this game. Just please don't say nasty. Like there's nasty things and then there's violent things. Please don't do that. They are not only doing the best they can, they are doing way beyond the best they can. I think we would all agree. Um, we're not. We're not trying to limit your rights on what you can say or who, who you can say it to. What we are trying to say is that we've been in the industry various numbers of, of decades. Um, this is a hard industry to be in. People are very free with their rage. I get a lot more negative comments than I get positive comments, no matter what I do. And we will all make gaming as a, a industry and as a hobby and as a movement better if we try to focus on positive things instead of negative things. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to do this. Dan, Ethan, uh, I know I reached out to you with very little notice when I said, hey, I've got this opportunity. You guys want to be part of it? Uh, so I really appreciate you both being here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. This thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to y'all. And on that happy note, uh, thanks for checking out this episode of the Banff Podcast, and we will catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.